It's a joy for Judy and I to be with you again today and to see a few more of you than last week, but uh, it's a good day to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I uh, do a lot of sermon planning in advance, and that's, uh, I think, that the Holy Spirit who created the world and chose us before the, before the foundation of the world knows how to guide us in the whole process of uh, depending on what he wants to say. We want to begin our, our reading this morning of a responsive reading, and if I operate the thing right, we are going. And I thought there was one before that. Yeah, there we go. So uh, I selected the English Standard Version. I don't use it as much because, well, I've preached from the King James probably for 15 or 20 years, and I've preached for the from the New American Standard for 15 or 20 years, and now I've preached from the NIV for 15 or 20 years, and I have three Bibles that are just like this, that uh, I have this one. This is my pulpit Bible. Well, I use it for my devotions too, but anyway, uh, I keep it pretty good, and the other two are pretty ragged. English Standard Version is a, a modern English translation that is a very accurate translation, and in a wonderful way, blends the awkwardness of the New American Standard with the readability of the NIV. And the reading level of the English Standard Version is uh, very good. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. Some of your teachers, the reading level of various versions of the Bible is a interesting thing to look at. Anyway, I will read the white letters and you read the blue. And this is the God's word. You know, I'm going to talk to you, but this is what's really important. It's his word. It's God speaking to you and to me. And so as we read it, let's not have a contest to see who can get done first, but to read it thoughtfully, asking the Spirit of God to speak to us as we read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have fa all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Well, there we go. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not sit on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. 
But when the perfect comes, the partial will be passed away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Pastoral transitions can be times of tension and difficulty. Times when instead of a congregation pulling together, they pull apart. That is a reality. I pray that will not be part of your history. Pastoral transitions can be a time to clarify who we are and what we're up to. They can be times when we provide the opportunity to address challenging questions like, why does Jesus want Faith Evangelical Free Church to exist in the Metamora, Germantown Hills communities in 2018-2019? Why does he want it to exist for the next 10 years? That is a thought-stimulating question, questions that need to be prayerfully considered by everyone in the congregation. Certainly the elders, and hopefully it is a, something that is given significant prayer. When Brian Bill called me a couple months ago, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but I think it was in August or July, um, I, part of my response was, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And immediately the Lord put upon my heart, I want you to preach on 1 Corinthians 13. And so that's where we are today. And uh, there, great passage. Many of us are familiar with this passage. We've heard it read at weddings. We've heard it read as a, a scripture reading. We've heard it in sermons. We've heard it in uh, devotions that we've read. It's unfortunately almost too familiar but I pray that as we let God's Spirit speak to us today we will not let the familiarity block or hinder what he wants to say to us as individuals as the Apostle Paul writes this song of love he writes it to a group of people that's when you put it in the big context, it's really unusual. Because if you go back to the first part of the book, here they're having lawsuits against each other. They're letting immorality go without any thought. They're fussing over the meal that preceded the communion service. They're fussing over worship. They're fussing over... Uh, spiritual gifts. It was a church that 
was filled with conflict. And in the midst of Paul's writing to him, the Spirit of God guides him to say, there's a greater importance than all of these things. And that is the pathway of love. The chapter opens with three highly valued characteristics in the Corinthian church. They highly valued eloquence. Eloquence. Yes, you know, some speakers are just almost addictive to listen to. They attract our attention. They, they draw us in. And in the process, we can be kind of numbed to reality. Eloquence was a highly valued quality within the Corinthian church. Paul addresses part of that problem in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. A second thing that they thought was very important was prophetic powers. It's quite an interesting way that he puts that. Let me read the first verse just so that we uh, get it into the whole context. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, now wouldn't that be something? I can speak in all the languages of, on the face of the earth. <laughs> and I can even speak in the language of angels. But have not love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And then verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but not, have not love, I am nothing. Do you catch what he's saying? You, you wouldn't need a detective any longer because he understands all mysteries. There needs to be no investigations, just ask him. And he's putting this proposition in front of them. I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and has faith that can move mountains. That'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? And he says, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Generosity was also valued by the Corinthians. We don't understand all of that, but we know that they made a promise to help the, the uh, Jewish believers who are undergoing a lot of problems. And Paul later wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, 8, 9, and 10 about them needing to fulfill their promise. But it was a highly valued uh, quality. And as he says in the third verse, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now if you memorize the slide that we read for verse 3, you'll notice a discrepancy between the, new, the uh, English Standard Version and the NIV. The English Standard Version says if I give all I have. NIV says if I give my, all my money to the poor. Uh, you can do a little research on that. You'll notice in the New American Standard, the word, the phrase, to the poor, is in italics, which means it's not literally in the text, but the translator said by implication, it is to the poor. So it's an interesting uh, observance of different translations, but as he talks about this generosity, he talks about it, it also in the fullest of detail if I give everything I own 
oh, wow, my house, my cars, my tools, my library, uh, our furniture. Uh, everybody be so, wow. And he says, no. And if I would add to that, I would surrender my body to be burned at stake to the flames, but have not love, I am nothing. So as Paul approaches these things, basically he trashes their high values. Eloquence, prophetic powers, generosity. And he says, without love, mm -mm, we've missed the boat. We've valued the wrong thing. And so from preeminence of love, we move on to the perfections of love, which is the section that we are more familiar with, verses 4 to 7. And it begins with the character quality of patience. Love is patient. Now put that into the context. Hear this as this congregant congregation which is involved in some of them with lawsuits against one another and he is saying the path of love is patience it puts up with the inconsistencies inconsistencies and failures of other people it, it is not putting a timeline on somebody to change it's being tolerant Allowing other perspectives, patient. I like that simple phrase. You don't have to hurry. Love is patient. He goes on with another positive quality of being kind. A friend of mine posted uh, something on Facebook yesterday and I said, oh, that's exactly right. She posted, the test of kindness is being kind to somebody who is unkind. Yeah, love is kind. It's constructive. It wants to help people. It does things without being asked. Then he turns to some negatives. Love does not envy. Isn't it interesting? Now, you, we're not going to have you hold up your hand, but isn't it interesting how deep-seated envy is in our life? What somebody else has, I want. I didn't know I wanted it until I saw that you had it. But now that I see that you have it, I want it. He says, love is not that way. It's not possessive. Instead, it wants the best for the other person. And it rejoices in the successes that they experience. You know, Jesus said, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You know what I've found? Almost every one of us can weep with the people who are weeping. The challenge is in, can you rejoice when they rejoice? When they have that new car that you'd like to have and you're still driving a clunker. When they get the promotion that you were hoping to get and the boss chose them instead of you. Love 
does not envy. And corollary with that is love does not boast. And we're going to go someplace here. This is a fun exercise. Well, guys, I may need you to cook a, a, a slide for me. There we go. doesn't boast. No negative comparisons. It, it's not braggadocia. It is not saying, well, if I could have done that, it would have been done better. It, it's not saying, uh, what, shall we sing it? Everything you can do, I can do better. Again, isn't that deep-seated? And he's saying, this is not the place of love. He goes on with another negative and says it is not arrogant. That's quite a lesson for us to learn. A few months ago, I had a student, and somehow we were in the process of discussing pride and humility. And she, I think it was a, a lady, wrote... Pride is an unrecognized posture of superiority. Arrogance. I'm better than you. It is very deeply embedded in our lives. It's an inflated perspective of who we are and what we can do. I summarize it in a simple way. Love realizes life doesn't revolve around me. He goes on to say, love is not rude. Love has good manners. It respects other people. It does not condemn. Love, well, condemn doesn't fit on the slide, so I put love versus judge. Gentle. That's the characteristic of not rude. Oh, it gets worse. Not insist on my own way. You know, for some of us, that's uh, quite a challenge. Um, if you were the youngest in the family, you know, as I was, you'd like to have things my way. Paul addresses that in Philippians 2. If or since you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, hold on to your seats. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Not insisting that my perspective, my history, is the best. Not insisting on my own way. He goes on, as we read, not irritable or resentful. Uh, Psalm 165 is translated differently, and I could quote that to you also, but I remember my mom quoting this verse many times. The whole idea, you know, when, when we're resentful or, or, 
or irritable is my feelings got hurt. I didn't get my way. Psalm 119, 165 in the King James, that's what mom quoted because that's the only version of the Bible available back in those days. Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing will offend them. Newer translations says will not cause them to stumble. We have peace when we love the word of God and let it sink into our lives. And what other people say or do about us doesn't bother us because we have God's peace because we love the word of God. The second, the next quality, not rejoice in wrongdoing. My sister and I chuckle about that because we heard more times than we could ever count. Ephesians 4.32, again in the King James Version, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven to you. Now, tell your brother you love him. Tell your sister you love her. Uh, she could crack the whip pretty strong. But, but that's not rejoicing in the wrongdoing that <laughs> he got in trouble. <laughs> I got off the hook. No, it's not rejoicing in those kinds of things. It, and it doesn't say, well, a year ago you said no. He doesn't rejoice in the failures of what somebody said a year ago. Rather, love is saying, I will believe you. In fact, it says, you rejoice in the truth. Rejoicing in the truth comes from reading the scripture. You know, this is the source of all truth. Reading the scripture individually, but reading scripture as a family or a couple, or the elders reading the scripture together and praying. One of the pastors I'm coaching tells me almost every week he is so thrilled with their prayer times because they have a short devotional, 10 to 15 minutes in the max, and they spend 45 minutes praying together for needs in, of people in the church, the needs of the church itself. They're rejoicing in truth and believing as they pray that God hears them and will answer. Powerful reality. Bears all things. Living, willing to live with the inconsistencies of others. You know, it comes back to that lawsuit bit. You cheated me, and so I'm going to take you to law. And that's another whole subject in 1 Corinthians, but it's a very important one for us to think about. Bearing all things, putting up with other people, having a concern for their problems, not just my own. Ephesians 2 puts it this way in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
Yes, that is the quality of bearing all things, doing everything we can to preserve the unity of the body for the honor and glory of Christ. Believes all things, trust. When our children were young, uh, Judy and I would pose questions for them that they had to think about. And one of those questions was, will I learn anything more about what you just told me, your side of the story, the rest of today or tomorrow? Is there anything you want to add to your story? Yeah, building honesty into their lives. And we as God's children need to be honest people. But as I say every once in a while, you know, if that salesman lied to me, he has a bigger problem than I do. Because God's watching over me. There's a point at which we indeed believe all things. Yes, you have to have wisdom and discernment, and I'm not denying that, but we need to be, in contrast to doubters, we need to be learning the path of love to believe all things. Hope's all things. You know, all the news around us, mercy, that, that's enough to get you all stirred up, your blood pressure really high. But when we believe and we hope, that's a word that we don't use quite the same in the American language, hope, we hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, that, that we have no control over. But the Christian hope is so different because we know that Christ is in control. And we can trust in him and not be afraid. We hope all things. As you are in the transition process, we can all take peace in knowing that the sovereign God already has chosen the pastor who will come. But we have to be ready. We have to do our heart work, and we need to do some other work. And God has to prepare his heart to come here. Now, we can get in a hurry, and that usually, what is it? Make a decision in a hurry and uh, moan in, in, uh, for a long time. Hopes all things. And finally, endures all things. Persevering kind of thing. Enduring, enduring difficulties and obstacles. Observing, uh, uh, pers persevering in times of trouble and wonder what in the world God is doing. But it endures. That's what love is. That's what makes a church strong when we go through troubled times and we persevere. Recently I was at a reunion of 50th year, year annual, annual, annual uh, gathering of God's people in Pontiac where I pastored for many years. And uh, as we were gathered there, I, I recalled a time when we were in great difficulty. And as elders, we prayed and talked about it, and we finally decided we need to ask the congregation to give, in addition to their giving, one week's salary. 
I'm glad I wasn't the elder who had needed to do that. But at the end of the service, we asked all the men of the church to come upstairs to a room, and we had a meeting there. And one of my dear friends, who's in Spain serving as a missionary today, was an accountant in those days. He explained, the church needs funds. And we ask you to pray, perfectly consider giving one week's salary to help us get caught up. We don't know who did, who didn't. That's up between the person and God. But we persevered. And the strong, church remains strong today because of that. Well, that's quite a list, isn't it? Patient, kind, not envy, not boast, not arrogant, not rude, not insist on my own way, not irritable or resentful, not rejoicing in wrongdoing, Rejoicing in truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. You notice that the, it ends with five char positive characteristics. It began with two positives, and in between are seven negatives. What a description of what love is. And so we come then from the preeminence of love and the perfections of love in verses 4 to 7 to the permanence of love. He comes in this passage, verses 8 to 12, and he says, love never fails. If I get back to my original text, I'll help. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But love never fails. He goes on in the ninth and 10th verses to say the partial will pass away. Let's see. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. I don't have all prophetic gifts that I can have and faith to move a mountain. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And then the 11th verse is powerful. He said, I put away childish behaviors. Love puts them away intentionally. Notice what it says in verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, or let's say adult, I put away childish, I put childish ways behind me. What a profound declaration. It is so easy for us to revert to childish behaviors. I oftentimes will comment that some adult is acting like a two-year-old, <laughs> because they are. <laughs> Their childish ways. And he goes on to the, verse 12. The future is perfection. Now we see but poor re reflection in a mirror. Uh, the Corinthians had a great industry going for them. They made bronze mirrors. Now, you know, no matter how smooth that is, can you imagine trying to get your hair just right, ladies, looking into a bronze mirror? Uh, 
wouldn't be very successful, I don't think. Uh, we see a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, I shall know, then I shall know fully, even as I know, have fully known. And so he comes then to verse 13. Let's read it together. So now, wait, let's read it together. Okay, here. <laughs> so now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So the permanence of love is really highlighted as we put it into this context that it is the one that is permanent and lasting. As you're in this time of pastoral transition, I urge you to choose the path of Christ-like love. The meaning of Christ-honoring, Christ-like love has been significantly buried in our culture. Just look at the news, the movies, social media, conversations. We need to come back to Christ-honoring love. The Bible presents us with examples of God's love that we are called to imitate. Romans 5.8 says, But while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We didn't deserve it. He loved us. Ephesians 2.12 says that, I'll read it to you, and then you, you won't think I'm making it up. He says in verse 12, Remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants and promise. And then these powerful words, devastating words, without hope and without God in the world. That's where our unsaved neighbors and friends are, without hope without God. What a hopeless situation. But Jesus calls you and me as his children to come and live Christ-like, Christ-honoring love. John, in 1 John 4, puts it so plainly, we love because he first loved us. And we need to imitate that. Love is a choice. It's a decision. And we may have a feeling later, and that's true whether it's at home or at church, it is a choice that each of us have to make. We, when we choose the path of love, we contribute to an atmosphere of grace and peace. And that's the kind of place I want to live. It's the kind of church I want to come to. It's the kind of community I want to live in. It's a place I like to go to school or go to work a place of grace and peace that is permeated by the love of Jesus Christ. To walk in the ways of love demands that we choose to walk that way. Let's see. It's a commitment that says, I want to relate to people. I want to talk to people. I want to talk about people. I want to think about people in a more Christ-like way. When you fail to speak or act in a loving manner, do what Jesus teaches us. Admit it 
and make things right with other people or persons. I've been in board meetings and I've been in congregational meetings where somebody spouted off the truth of what they needed to do was the next time that group was together or even to be called for a special gathering was that person needed to follow the Christ-like model of love and said, what I said at that meeting the other day was ungodly and I ask you to forgive me. That contributes to an atmosphere of peace and grace. And when people walk in the doors for the first time, they sense that love that permeates the congregation. It is so easy to revert to our childish behaviors in our speaking, in our thinking, in our reasoning. I ask you to choose to give up those ways and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to change to put on clothes. We were in chapter 3 last week of Colossians, and I love the passage in verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive, uh-oh, hold your seats. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In the context, he's saying they're clothes that we need to take off. We don't stand around naked. We'd rather put on these clothes of Christ and allow him to work in our lives. To change our behaviors, our values, our attitudes demands intentional relinquishing of self-centered values, words, and behaviors. Take some time this week to go back and read 1 Corinthians 13, especially verses 4 to 7. And any time you see the word love, or a pronoun that refers to love, put your name in it. I did that this morning. It's a challenging thing to think about. Lord, I need help with patience. I need help with this. I need your hand here. See, the question I want to put before you today is, will I begin today, or will I renew my commitment today? To nurture a climate of love at faith? Or will you resist the internal promptings of God's Spirit to demolish destructive habits in your life? Yes, pastoral transitions can be times of tensions and difficulties. I pray this will not be your history. Let me pray. Oh, Lord God, we each need your help. We call upon you, Lord, and ask that you would give us the commitment to allow you to change us from the inside out, 
May your grace be upon us even this day as we ponder these matters. And that you would go before us and help us to be the loving people that you want us to be and that you so perfectly modeled. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.